Um, my name's Evan Rose. Um, this is the forum. We do this uh, every week, except in the summer. So this is our last forum of the year until um, August. Uh, today we have uh, Terry Beery, who's going to talk about the um, Armenian genocide from a very personal point of view, uh, because her father was swept up in that. Uh, I know that some people have gone off to see the movie The Promise. If you've seen that, would you raise your hand? Okay. Um, and uh, that was just um, a happy circumstance that that movie was around just before um, uh, Terry's talk. So I'll let her speak. Um, Terry? Okay. Good morning. Um, I am the child of refugees. My mother and her family left Germany in 1936 to get away from Hitler. And my father's family escaped um, from the Armenian Genocide. So um, I, I have some real connection with this. And uh, when, let's see, when the movie The Promise there came out, um, I had written something on Facebook, and, and Tina saw it. And so she asked me if I would do this talk. So I'm, I'm happy to do this talk. So um, my name, my full name, is Teresa Husenian Beery. Uh, I was very happy to uh, marry my husband and get rid of that great big long last name, Husenian, uh, until the day I realized my name was going to be Terry Beery, and then I just accepted it. Anyway, uh, so what you're seeing is beautiful Mount Ararat, which is very important to the Armenians. It's actually in Turkey now, but you can see it from Yerevan, the capital of Armenia. And, uh, and it is the mountain, you may remember, where Noah landed. And, um, and so people, uh, my father would be happy to tell you that Noah spoke Armenian. Uh, my father would have also been happy to tell you that Jesus was Armenian, but that's another story. <laughs> so um, this is, I think, a, a very telling quotation. This is from Hitler. It's part of uh, something he said to kind of encourage his uh, generals to attack Poland and show no mercy in Poland um, and to kill indiscriminately. And uh, he ended this telegram by saying, who, after all, speaks of the annihilation of the Armenians? Um, because it was a forgotten genocide. It was a forgotten massacre. So what is genocide? Um, when I was growing up, my father referred to it as the massacres, the Armenian massacres. Uh, but it really is a genocide. And the genocide is a term that was coined by Ralph Lemkin, who was a Polish Jew a lawyer, from geno, which is the Greek word for race or tribe, with side, which is the Latin word for killing. And Lemkin investigated the Armenian massacres and really used it as a model for developing his idea of what a genocide was. And then later he applied it to what was going on in Germany. The term was coined in 1943. He said it was a coordinated plan of different actions aiming at the destruction of essential foundations of the life of national groups with the aim of annihilating the groups themselves. So the United Nations actually had a convention in 1948 on genocide, uh, the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide. The convention established what genocide was and provided an international definition. Um, they said, and this is directly from their resolution, genocide means any of the following acts committed with intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethnical, 
racial and religious group as such killing members of the group, causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life calculated to bring about its physical destruction in whole or in part, imposing measures intended to prevent births within the group, or forcibly transferring children of the group to another group. Uh, all of these things happened to the Armenians. Many Armenian children were given to Turkish families and uh, cared for them and converted to Islam and uh, kind of taken away. So where's Armenia? Uh, when I was growing up, I would ask my father where Armenia was, and I would see on the map that there was this Republic of Armenia in the Soviet Union, and he would say, oh, that's not Armenia. That's just part of the Soviet Union. So Armenia, in his mind, and for a very long time, this was greater Armenia. All of this brown and tan, light brown, that was the historical um, country of Armenia. And uh, I'm certainly not a historian, so I'm going to do the best I can. I'm also not an expert on genocide, although I have, we have one in the audience. <laughs> My granddaughter took a course in genocide in her high school. Um, so the Armenian people have lived in the Caucasus region of Eurasia for 3,000 years. And the Armenians are very proud to tell you that Armenia was the very first nation that adopted Christianity as a national religion in 301 of the Christian era. Um, they say that the apostles Thaddeus and Bartholomew were so close in proximity, they came to Armenia first and converted the people to Christianity. Um, during the 15th century, Armenia was absorbed by the Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman rulers were Muslims, and the Armenians were viewed as infidels. Not only that, but there are many stories of the Armenians actually being complicit in the Crusades. And so the Turks and, and Muslims had you know, some reason to be uncomfortable with the Armenians. Um, the Christians in the Ottoman Empire paid higher taxes. They had very few political and legal rights. And so there was often some little skirmish here and there, people trying to get their rights. This um, up here in this kind of mustardy color is the Republic of Armenia as it is today, this tiny little landlocked country. So, um, but despite you know, being kind of uh, kept down, and paying higher taxes, the Armenian community thrived. Uh, they tended to be well-educated. They tended to be wealthy. Um, but the Turks really were very suspicious that the Armenians would be more loyal to nearby Christian nations than to the caliphate, the Ottoman caliphate. And uh, this is Sultan Abdul Hamad II, who's also known as the Bloody Sultan, which is, gives you some idea of, of, uh, of what he did. Uh, at the end of the 19th century, he declared that he was going to solve this Armenian question. And he said he's going to settle it with those Armenians. He told a reporter, I will give them a box on the ear which will make them relinquish their revolutionary ambitions. So he was dealing with some skirmishes from Armenian resistance, and this was his response. What he did was hardly a box on the ear. Uh, and so between 1894 and 1896, we had what is now called the Hamidian Armenian Massacres. Uh, and uh, 
In response to large-scale protests by the Armenians, Turkish military officials, soldiers, and ordinary men sacked Armenian villages and citizens and sacked and massacred their citizens. Uh, hundreds and thousands, probably about 300,000 Armenians, were killed in the Hamidian massacre. Um, on an interesting note, Clara Barton, founder of the American Red Cross, uh, took great interest in this, and she was elderly. She was like 75, and she went over to Constantinople and spent eight months caring for the people who were injured in the, um, in the Hamidian massacres. Um, pretty amazing. And um, that was the first international extension of the American Red Cross. It was the first international effort. A band of brigands attached a company of Turkish gendarmes, killing a sergeant. A force of a thousand Turkish troops was sent to Kamak, and five villages were pillaged, 5,000 persons rendered homeless. The New York Times, and, and you'll see later too, did an amazing job of reporting what was going on there, the failing New York Times. <sighs> um, Sultan Hamad was overthrown in a bloodless coup by a group of um, Turks called the Young Turks in 1908, and they were very young. Uh, they were, uh, Enver on the left was 41, and um, Jamal was 32, and uh, that was Talek on the far left, and um, well, I'm getting their names mixed up, but anyway, they were 31, 32, and 41, so they were very young. And they wanted, they said, to form a constitutional government. Uh, they wanted a parliamentary government. This sounded wonderful. So they overthrew the sultan in this bloodless coup, and the people were very happy about this. The Armenians were very happy about this. There's stories of the Armenians and the Turks dancing together in the streets when the sultan was overthrown. The sad news is nothing good happened from these people being in power. Um, they were very uh, intent on Turkifying Turkey. Turkey for the Turks was their motto. And uh, in just recently, before this happened, the Ottoman Empire had begun to shrink. And the Ottoman rule in the Balkans was overthrown. And a lot of the Turkish soldiers who went to the Balkans to fight were treated very badly by the Christians, and so they came back to Turkey with stories about how they were, so, uh, they were hurt, they were treated badly, there were atrocities that the Christians um, en enacted on the, on the Turks. And so there was this history of, ooh, Christians are bad, Christians have hurt us, um, and we need to fight, we need to resist against the Christians. Uh, so it, not a surprising thing, but certainly distressing, uh, Non-Turks, and especially Christian non-Turks, were a grave threat to the new state, they felt. And this was one of the motivations for the Armenian massacres. So World War I came. And in World War I, uh, Tur Turkey entered the war in about 1914, and they entered on the side of Germany and the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Um, the Ottoman religious authorities declared holy war, against all Christians and their allies. And the military leaders, they were so suspicious of the Armenians, and they argued that the Armenians were traitors and they were going to fight on the side of the enemy, which was not untrue. There were about a thousand Armenians who joined with Russian battalions. They defected and they fought with Russia against the Turks. Um, 
The events in general Turkish suspicion of the Armenian people led the Turkish government to push for removal, and that's a euphemism, of the Armenians from the war zones along the Eastern Front. So the genocide began, we have an actual date on which it began. It began on April 24, 1915. And what happened on that date was that um, a group of intellectuals and wealthy people and um, artists and people of culture in Constantinople, about 250 people, were rounded up and just killed. And, um, and that was really the beginning of, of what was going to go on. And after the, the Armenian intellectuals were killed, then ordinary Armenians were turned out of their homes and sent on death marches through the Mesopotamian desert without food and water. People were stripped naked, forced to walk under the scorching sun, and many dropped dead. Um, people who stopped to rest were shot. And there are many horrible stories about what went on. Um, the death marches were supposedly deportations. The uh, Turks were supposedly taking the Armenians out of Turkey. And so they were headed for the Syrian desert where there was no food and water. And so even those few that survived the death marches died then in the Syrian desert. So um, it was most certainly a genocide. So uh, this map shows the uh, massacre sites and the number of people, or the approximate number of people, are the, the large circles here, and the death march routes going down here into, Syria, into the Syrian desert, which is here. There were uh, groups of people who were taken up to the Black Sea, loaded on boats, and then thrown overboard. Um, and again, just for some perspective, this is Turkey. Today's Turkey, this is my father's birthplace, Smyrna, which is now Izmir, and this is the Armenian uh, Republic that exists today. Um, there were a number of areas of resistance. There was an area of resistance in Musadag. Those of you who have seen the movie will remember uh, Musadag um, and uh, a variety of other places. So uh, the Young Turks organized killing squads they recruited Kurdish mercenaries. Um, they also released people from prison to uh, be part of these killing squads. And they drowned people in rivers. They threw them off cliffs. They crucified them, burned them alive. Uh, observers said that the Turkish countryside was littered with uh, Armenian corpses. They kidnapped children and converted them to Islam and gave them to Turkish families. They raped women and forced them to join Turkish harems or serve as slaves. Muslim families moved into the homes of deported Armenians. So the story the Turks gave the Armenians was that, you know, we're taking you away for a little while, you're going to be able to come back. So you don't have to take all your stuff. And so they left all their stuff. And uh, the Turks moved in and, uh, and just kind of took it over. Um, one of the stories about why Sultan Hamad hated Armenians so much is that um, people thought that his mother was probably Armenian. She was a, 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 in a harem, and uh, that he kind of resented that. So, yeah, harems, kind of weird. Uh, in 1922, when the genocide was over, there were just 388,000 Armenians remaining in the Ottoman Empire. We don't know how many there were originally because there was no, really no census data that went on at that time, but people have suggested probably around two million 
um, were there, and then were left uh, 388,000. So what do these pictures look like the, the Holocaust, don't they, the Jewish Holocaust? Um, certainly the, the boxcars remind us of the Jewish Holocaust. And Armenians were put into the boxcars and shipped over to closer to the Syrian desert, and uh, they were crammed in there, um, and many people asphyxiated because they were so tightly crammed into these boxcars. You can see the, the um, nourishment or lack thereof of, uh, of this, and the term starving Armenians. Uh, some people think it was coined by Clara Barton, um, but uh, it certainly uh, describes what was going on. There was no food, there was no water. Um, this is an extremely sad situation. There were 16 teenage girls who were crucified alive um, along the route as a warning to the Armenians, don't resist, this is what will happen to you. So, the movie The Promise. Several of you have seen it, I've seen it. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's a Hollywood movie. Uh, it's about Michael, uh, who's played by Oscar Isaac, who is Cuban-Guatemalan, but he sure looks Armenian. Uh, he was a brilliant medical student, and he meets Anna, uh, who is a, a, a governess for a wealthy Armenian family. And they share their Armenian heritage, and it's about a, a romantic triangle, really, uh, rivalry between Michael and Anna's boyfriend, a famous American photojournalist. So one of the high points of the movie is the Armenian resistance at Musadag. I mentioned that earlier, which is along the coast, very close to the Syrian border. And it was commemorated in a novel that was written in 1933 by uh, a Jewish author named Franz Werfel. And uh, Musadag is the name of the mountain, and it, it means Mount Moses, Moses' mountain. Um, and uh, it was really a, a, a point of of resistance and retaliation, six different villages that, that existed in its, uh, under its view joined together and they took all, of, all that they could up the mountain to resist the Turkish army. Um, and what, uh, they were there for actually 53 days, but 40 days has more of a commercial uh, appeal, I guess. So they were there 53 days and they, um, were attacked by the Turks and uh, resisted. And they were attacked and they resisted. And they certainly lost some people. They sent a runner off to try to get help. The runner never came back. They sent a swimmer off, because they were right on the coast, to try to get help. And the swimmer never came back. They sent two swimmers off with a big banner to try to get a ship that was passing by to notice what was going on. And a French ship did notice. And the French ship came and rescued about 2,000 of them. It's pretty amazing. It's very dramatic in the movie to see this, this rescue going on. Um, the book was very popular. And it was actually banned uh, by the Third Reich in 1934. They said it, it, was, uh, it discussed alleged Turkish horrors perpetrated against the Armenians and denounced America's Jews for promoting the U.S. sale of the book. MGM actually bought the movie rights. And the movie was in production, starring Clark Gable, when the State Department came in and said, you need to stop. They were being pressured by the Turkish government not to produce this movie. 
Um, and so the movie was never produced. The New York Times, as I said, was uh, amazing in the information and in the way they followed uh, the events. They published 145 articles and appealed to Turkey to stop the massacres. They described the action against the Armenians as systematic, authorized, and organized by the government. Um, some of the headlines, tales of Armenian horror confirmed, fears of Armenian doom, they burn a thousand Armenians, a million Armenians killed, Armenians sent to perish in the desert. So, uh, Ambassador Morgenthau is one of the heroes of, of this story. Ambassador Morgenthau was the U.S. ambassador to Constantinople, and uh, he, he saw what was going on, and he documented it in a memoir and talked all about what had happened and, um, and uh, the horrors of it. And uh, so he wrote, one of the things he wrote was, when the Turkish authorities gave the orders for these deportations, they were merely giving the death warrant to a whole race. They understood this well, and in their conversations with me, they made no particular attempt to conceal the fact. He said, scenes like this, describing this picture that he put in his book, were common all over the Armenian provinces in the spring and summer months of 1915. One of the uh, scenes in the movie exactly replicates a conversation that Morgenthau had with uh, Talek Pasha. And that's Talek Pasha, who was uh, one of the leaders of the Young Turks. He said, Talek Pasha said, he said these words, it just amazes me. I wish that you would get the Armenian life insurance companies to send us a complete list of the Armenian policyholders. They're practically all dead now and have no heirs to collect the money. It is, of course, it all goes to the state. The government is the beneficiary now. Will you do so? And Morgenthau said, no way. <laughs> I can't believe you asked that. That is unbelievable. Um, yeah, and uh, uh, Talek also said, I've accomplished more towards solving the Armenian problem in three months than Abdul Hamid, the bloody sultan, accomplished in 30 years. So he's very proud of, uh, of dealing with the Armenian problem. Uh, Morgenthau, because he really couldn't do anything, started a relief effort. And, uh, and this was uh, the American Committee for the Armenian and Syrian Relief, and it's now it still exists. It's the Near East Foundation. Um, and uh, it was the oldest non-sectarian international development organization in the U.S., and the second American humanitarian organization to be chartered by an act of Congress. And you can see some of the very heart-wrenching um, uh, posters and things that they disseminated to try to get people to um, give money to the cause. And they were quite successful. Uh, they raised over $100 million to aid the Armenian refugees. It made a huge difference in the survival of, uh, of many orphans. So, let's get to some personal stories. Yeah? Is that 100 million in today's money or in the time of this? The 100 million is in, to, is in their money then. It's in the billions today. I know, it's incredible, because that was 1915, amazing. So, uh, some personal stories. Um, B. Halegian, uh, was a, a high school um, cohort of mine, and we connected on Facebook, and, um, and I asked her to tell her family's story. And this is her family's story. Her father's father was sent into exile 
He escaped with either a bribe or help of a Turkish soldier. There's lots of bribery involved in the people who survived this. Uh, left in the middle of the night and fled the country, leaving behind most of their possessions. He went to Bulgaria, and Bulgaria welcomed him with open arms. Her mother's father witnessed his parents being killed by the Turks, and he was taken to an orphanage by American missionaries. The American missionaries are important in, in the movie The Promise. Uh, who arranged transport to the U.S., and he was given a place to stay by the Kellogg family. He went to medical school and became a doctor and a philanthropist. And B said, um, in our, some of our correspondence, as an Armenian whose ancestors were killed for their faith, most would think it would be natural for me to hate the race that tried to annihilate my people. But as a Christian, I'm commanded to love even my enemies. As a member of a minority that has been oppressed, I feel it is my obligation to stand up for others who may be oppressed. Uh, this picture up here, it says, uh, America, thank you, spelled out in a bunch of orphans, kind of you know, spelling out the words. Uh, there was a, a, Alexandra Pool is a city in Turkey where many orphans were taken. At one point, there were 25,000 orphans, Armenian orphans there. Um, it was called Orphan City. Um, and again, supported through much money from the United States, um, enabling them to actually do that. So, um, I did be Halegian, Terry Husenian. Uh, I thought I'd tell you a little bit about Armenian names. Um, most Armenian names end in IAN or YAN, and it means son of, um, but some diaspora Armenians have changed their name, have changed the ending. So they're patronymic, primarily, the first names of an ancestor. So my grandfather's name was Artin, and uh, so if he were further back in the chronology, uh, his descendants would have been called Artinian. Um, some names are based on geographic origin, <coughs> but most are taken from the professions of the ancestors. So my, my own, my maiden name is Yusenian, and that means son of a stonemason. So back in my history, there was a stonemason. Uh, B. Halegian, that's son of a rug maker. Um, so B's great-great-grandmother was a rug maker, and then her son was called Halegian. Uh, that's my brother. That's me. Looking very cute, yes. Uh, and that's my brother's wife, Margaret. And Margaret's father was Hagap Hachidorian. Um, Hachidorian means uh, the, the son of someone who owns a cross. It's <laughs> just kind of an interesting. Uh, fortunately, my cousin knows all these things. Um, Hagap was my Gungahar. He was my godfather. And so I always called him Gungahar. And he left this village of Tokay in the interior and went to Smyrna. Uh, very much like the character in The Promise leaves his village and goes to Constantinople. Um, he, uh, the Turks wiped out the people of his village after he left. He lost his parents and three siblings. Um, and uh, his wife, and this again echoes The Promise, his wife uh, worked for a wealthy family. Um, in, and um, he came to the United States and looked for a sponsor to bring his wife. She went to her employer, 
um, who paid for her trip to the United States, but he stayed with his business and he was killed. Again, very similar to the story in the, in the movie. Uh, these are my grandparents. This is uh, Madame Sophie Norbaronian, uh, son of a baron, um, and Artin Husenian, and they lived in Smyrna, Turkey, now Izmir. Um, they were... Um, my, my grandmother was a, a community healer, um, and so we, we always, my, my, the women in my family say we got our witchy ways from uh, my grandmother, Sophie. Uh, and uh, my grandfather owned two carpentry shops in uh, Smyrna, and it was very successful. They were very wealthy, and uh, they loved theater. Theater was their favorite thing, and so they built a theater, and traveling stock companies would come and put on plays there, and then they would host them. So that was their life, and it was a, a very abundant life in Smyrna. Um, my great-grandmother, Marian Matigian, and Matigian means son of Matthew, uh, when she was age 16, she was married to my great-grandfather, Krikor Norboronian, at age 73. Isn't that fun? Uh, and <laughs> After he died, which was not long after they married, she moved from the interior to Constantinople, but because Armenians had no rights, she couldn't take any of the family's wealth with her. She had to leave it all behind um, because it had become property of the state. This is my father, Arshavir Husenian. That's me again, looking pretty daggone cute. Um, and my father was born in 1896 and he died in 1990, and one of my biggest regrets is um, not really having paid much attention to his stories. He was a great storyteller, and uh, he would go on and on and on about his life in Turkey, about his early life, and I was like, yeah, okay, uh, I just didn't care. Um, and now, you know, I would give anything to be able to ask him questions and to, to hear his stories. My brother, fortunately, had this brilliant idea. My father was a drinker, and uh, so my brother had him. He gave him a tape recorder and said, you know, have a couple of drinks and tell your stories into the tape recorder. And he did that. So I have five CDs with some of my father's stories, which uh, is amazing. So he lived with his family in Smyrna, and he was going to be conscripted into the Turkish army. Um, he had uh, worked for a French shipping company. The French shipping company said, this is what we'll do. I will make sure that your job is taking people on and off the boats, the passengers that come, on and off the boats. And then one day when you're ready to leave, you can get on the boats and the Turkish soldiers won't be surprised that you're getting on the boat, but just don't get off. And then you can leave. Uh, and that was basically how... Um, how my father's family left. They, um, they had a, a beautiful sister, that's my aunt Serape, and uh, he would use Serape to distract the guards, and she'd flirt with them while he would smuggle people on these ships bound for Greece. Um, and, and again, I said they were a wealthy family. They came through Ellis Island, and because they were wealthy, it was very easy for them. So my grandfather gave everyone in the family a $5 gold piece, and that got them through Ellis Island <laughs> without any trouble. Uh, and, you know, there's, uh, in my father's stories, there's bribery, bribery, bribery. Um, it got them uh, saved. So many people were saved because they had money. And the people who didn't have money 
didn't get saved. So this is a, kind of roughly my family tree. That's Artem and Sophie. Um, this is my mom and dad. This is a little bit wrong, because Arthur's only my half-brother. His name is Haratyun, but we called him Arthur. Uh, that's me again. That's my cousin, Rafi. And I wanted you to see this in particular for a couple of things. First of all, my uncle George, and, and maybe you can see the spelling of Husenian is different from the way uh, we spell Husenian. Instead of H-E-W-S-E-N-I-A-N, it's H-U-S-S-E-N-I-A-N. That's because of Ellis Island. So when he came through Ellis Island, you know, the Armenian alphabet is not the same alphabet that we have. So he said his name, and that's the way they wrote it down. So he has always had a different name from everyone else in the family because it was changed slightly. The other thing I want to point out is this is my cousin Robert. And his father, Henry, married a British woman. And the, his wife didn't want to have anything to do with Armenian things. Um, she was very turned off by it. And she made him drop the IAN on the end of his name. So he has always gone by Robert Hewson. And the irony of that story is he grew up to be a professor of Armenian studies. <laughs> and I, I have a book up here. It's, it's, uh, I have read in one of the other books that it's one of the two top books on Armenian history. It's a, a historical atlas by Robert Hewson. So um, please come up and look at it if you have time afterwards. Um, so that, yeah. So the Turkish response. So the Turks have said and continue to say that World War I was a messy war and that there was, were lots of people who died during that time, that there was no premeditation in killing the Armenians. And the Turks will tell you there were only about 300,000 Armenians that were in the area anyway. And about the same number of Turks were killed as the number of Armenians in the Armenian resistance. And they'll tell you that story today. Um, there is actually a crime in Turkey called insulting Turkishness, um, which is what's called what happens if you mention the Armenians. The Armenian story has been taken out of the curricula um, in Turkish schools, so they're not allowed to talk about what happened to the Armenians. In 2015, President Erdogan said it's out of the question for there to be a stain or shadow called genocide on Turkey. In 1915, so they're, they're not given anything. Uh, the Turkish ministry, foreign ministry, issued a press release condemning the European Parliament's resolution acknowledging the genocide, and they said it was a mistaken repetition of the anti-Turkish cliches of the Armenian propaganda. So, one of the things the Turks have said is there's no documentation. You know, there's no documentation and they destroyed all the documentation that existed. Um, but there is a Turkish scholar, his name is Tanner Akam. He works at Clark University in Worcester, Massachusetts. And uh, he has uncovered two documents, and this is like, this just happened. He's uncovered two documents that document the Armenian genocide and the Turkish intention in the Armenian Genocide. So this first one is uh, an official telegram. It asks for details about deportation and killing of Armenians. Um, and this one, which was, uh, just came out, it was just published in, in May 5th of 2017, uh, it, it documented the way Turks were instructed. It said, it's understood that Muslims are hiding Armenians in some villages and towns 
where the residents were deported. The houses of householders who hide and protect Armenians against the order of the government must be burned, and they must be executed in front of their houses. Make sure there's no Armenian left who's not deported, and inform us about your conduct. The Armenians who converted to Islam will be deported as well. So this stuff has just, I mean, just come to light, and I suspect that the movie *The Promise* had something to do with, with that. But uh, Tanarakim, again, a Turk, uh, a wonderful scholar, and he said, "My firm belief as a Turk is that democracy and human rights in Turkey can only be established by facing history and acknowledging historic wrongdoings." So, the movie *The Promise* opened at the Toronto Film Festival. A thousand people saw it. The day after it opened, there were 55,000 negative reviews. Isn't that it? Yeah. Michael Moore, the documentarian, has said he's tweeted. I follow him on Twitter. He's tweeted, "Everybody should go see The Promise. It's a wonderful movie. There's a lot to learn from it, and the Turkish government is working to sabotage it." The Turkish government released at about the same time their own movie called *The Ottoman Lieutenant*, which is starring Ben Kingsley and funded with Turkish American money, and it gives the a much lighter side of what happened in those days and makes this Turkish lieutenant the hero. So, one of the things that this all makes me think about is what's going on now with Syrian refugees. Um, we know that Aleppo was a place for survivors of the Armenian genocide. There were a number of concentration camps in Aleppo. There were tent cities all over it. Streets were clogged with deportees, refugees, and corpses. Tens of thousands of Armenians were in makeshift camps. And this is the description of what Aleppo was like by Jesse B. Jackson, who was the U.S. consul there, and he describes terribly emaciated people. And all the people who died in and around Aleppo. So, just thinking about Aleppo and what's going on there now,、um, really for me, made a, a big connection with what's happened in my family. So,、um, that is my content, and I'm happy to take questions and, and、uh, maybe get your thoughts on、uh, any connections with what's going on in Syria or other places where people are refugees.、Um, appreciate your attention. Did you have a question, George? Yeah. How much of this was the, or how 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 closely is the parallel between how the Turkish people or the authority, we'll call it people, viewed the Armenians compared to what the Germans did to the Jews? In other words, how much of it was, you know, your untermensch? Mm-hmm. You know, subhuman. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's interesting. You know, the, the, those words were not used in any documentation that I've seen. The way、um, the, Hitler used them about the Jews, but it was certainly a religious difference, and it was an idea of purging and getting rid of people.、Um, but I've, I've not heard that subhuman, and, and, and which is surprising because they treated the Armenians as though they were subhuman, absolutely, and the tortures were longstanding.、Um, And、uh, you know, people spent 60 days walking in the desert, around in circles,、uh, no water, no food. You know, people would drop like flies.、Uh, the stories are horrible. I've spared you some of the worst pictures and some of the worst stories, certainly.
This is not the first atrocity committed by the Turks. No. They've been there a thousand years, and there's a long list. Uh, Turkish is not a, a European language. It's not even a member of the Indo-European language family. It's uh, related to Korean, Manchurian. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, it came from the East a thousand years ago. And during the height of the Ottoman Empire, they regarded all Europeans as inferior beings. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the using religious identities as a device for for managing this particular outrage is just a device. It was handy; came in handy. Yeah. They've done similar things long before. Mm -hmm. um, and it looks like it's not going to be the last one. Mm -hmm. They're yeah. starting on another. Um, the notion that Turkey could ever be a part of a united Europe is absurd. It's foisted off on us as one of the other mistakes we made, the United States made in the process of desperately fighting the Cold War. We've got a pile of errors and not very well thought out mm -hmm. schemes. Um, they tried to do this to the Greeks, same thing. Yeah. And it didn't quite work because Greece had Europe right behind it, right across the border behind them. Uh, we hear a lot about the Kurds and the, and the Turks having trouble. How did the, the Kurdistan or whatever, and uh, geographically with the uh, Armenians, what was that connection there, or how much conflict was there? You know, the only that I've read about, and again, I'm not a historian, and I, my knowledge of this is very limited, and it's a very complex thing, and I, I know very little about it. Um, I'm learning more. Um, the, the only thing I've heard about the Kurds is that they were recruited by, uh, by the Turks to uh, participate in the massacres. Um, so they're certainly geographically in that area. Um, but I hadn't heard of any problems between the Kurds and the Turks, but there may be, again, I'm not... I mean, yeah. yeah, I really don't know, but I would, I would draw your attention to my cousin's book, uh, which really goes back into the history of the area, and it's, it's pretty amazing. And there's a really cool picture of him in the back. So. Okay, well, our time is up. Um, will, you, will you be around in the coffee? I'll be area? around in coffee. And I baked some Armenian pachlava. It's very much like Greek baklava, but Armenians say it with a P, pachlava. So you're welcome to have some. All right. Okay, let's Me, thank our speaker. I guess we can talk later. Cause...